1: All right. Welcome to the show. Glad you could join us. My friend Gary Welch is on the line with me. Hi, Gary.
2: You know, Brian, I'm starting to look forward to Tuesday's afternoons with you. I know this might go out on podcast and somebody's hearing it later. But, we're, you know, we go live on Tuesday afternoon
1: and I'm always looking forward to it. Well, I, I think I, I want to think that you and I have some some substantive issues to, to talk about. You bring some some great wisdom and substance to the equation I bring uh, the uh, what is it the uh, the witty sidekick? No, I, I don't. Know. I'm, I'm here to I'm here to learn as well. But uh, one of the things I love is when we talk about what are we going to discuss today. It, there's nothing superficial. We're not talking about hey, did you hear about Kim Kardashian's new tattoo? Oh my goodness! You know, I mean, it's we we leave that stuff for the national tattler or whatever. But we do have some great stuff to talk about today. And one of the things I wanted to bring up was a speech that you made me aware of. You sent me a video to a speech made by Tennessee Representative John DeBerry. Or DeBerry. Uh, this was made uh, back in August, I guess August 12th. And he had some things to say about the civil rights movement compared to the Black Lives Matter movement today. And, and I wonder, Gary, could you set the, set the stage for us about uh, some of the things that he says, and then, and then we'll actually play an excerpt from this speech that just shows this remarkable difference. So the, the really cool thing
2: about this is that he's a Georgia legislator. He is black and he is a Democrat. So this is not, this is not the other side. This is any, he is your person. If you want somebody who is representing the black community, here's your guy. And his father was very much involved with Martin Luther King, they were there. They went on the marches. They were, were, they were persecuted. As a child, he saw this, he, he was there, he witnessed it. So he's, he's an expert at that. So not only does he have the credentials, he also has that expertise and experience to say, I know what I'm talking about. And this speech, um, it's on YouTube. You could see um the, the other people in that room starting to turn around, you know, as he's talking <laughs> and breaking out their phones because they're going, wow, this is special. This is something different. You can kind of tell that that's what's going on. And, and it was just very good. I was
1: so impressed. Okay, so I, I want to play this excerpt of, of this speech. And and in this, he's talking about his own background. He's talking about accompanying his dad to some of the civil rights, uh, you know, protests that took place during that civil rights era. And and Gary, since this is coming through on the same channel that you are, I'm going to ask you mute your mic when I, when I go to play this, so that it'll it'll come through. And then uh, it's about two minutes, two and a half minutes. We'll rejoin and and discuss here in just a moment. Again, this is Tennessee Representative John Deberry uh, responding to. The Black Lives Matter movement.
3: I am one of those individuals who walked in back doors because the law said I had to. I'm one of those individuals who rode on the back of the bus on the back seats that were not cushioned because the law said I had to. I went to the water and drank colored water because the law said I had to. I went to a school where everybody looked like me and the country was divided and segregated. Because the law said that I had to. So all of these things we continue to refer to are the things that me and my generation lived. We saw it for ourselves. We're not reading it in the history books, but we lived it. I went with my father when he and our neighbor got one of those I am a man signs and went downtown Memphis and watched him stand there proudly with Dr. King and other men and women, black and white, who had enough courage to stand up against what was wrong. And the way they did it, they had on their suits, their shirts, their ties, their hats, and if it was cold, their overcoats, they locked arms, and they marched peacefully. And Dr. King stood for that which was peaceful. Because the world took a look at what was happening in Memphis, in Chicago, in Detroit, in Washington, D.C., and all over this country, we changed the entire world. And we changed it because those men and women had enough guts, integrity, enough citizenship and love of country because my father was a Korean War era soldier as many of those other men and women were. They didn't beg for anything. They didn't beg for citizenship. They demanded it because they were American citizens who paid taxes, who raised children, who paid house notes and rent, and did everything they were supposed to do so that they could demand from this country and its constitution those things that they were supposed to have. How did they do it? They did it by standing like men and women of integrity and class and common sense and values. When the riots started and folks started burning stuff down, that's when my father took my arm and we left. We left because that was not what we were there for. That was not what Dr. King was there for. That was not what others who are famous in the civil rights days were there for. This was not peaceful. It was not part of our movement, and it only hurt everything.
1: Wow. 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 That is... Gary, I, I can see why you were anxious to get this in my hands and and say, so you got to hear this. This this goes so well with what we talked about last time you and I were on the air together. Right. And, and it's just coming from a different
2: source, but he's saying the exact same thing that you and I were talking about. I had not heard this. My wife told me about it after I told her about the show, she said, Oh, you want to hear this. And it just kind of shows how there is this common thought among all of us about, how do we resolve this you know this is an issue we need to resolve are we going to resolve it with violence or are we going to talk to each other
1: yeah and i i so wish that it was it was the kind of message that was um that was falling on the right ears today look you and i hear it and we go yes of course this makes sense and then i see videos like the ones that i've seen coming out of pittsburgh seems to be where there's there's some of the really um belligerent kinds of of protesters and this is this is the the guy in the pink shirt and the bullhorn who goes up and is is chanting obscenities at people as they're sitting there enjoying a beer on the patio you know at a restaurant somewhere uh some of the marchers with him come up and take people's beers off the table and drink it right there in front of him and uh, I mean he goes into a mcdonald's he's he's shouting into this manager's face with a bullhorn and and challenging him to a fight and it's just like uh yeah you you guys have you don't have the moral high ground that you think you do. The only thing you're doing is going around here intimidating people, breaking things, stealing stuff, threatening people, and then claiming you're the victim as you do all of those things. And that's the thing that
2: that really worries me because this is an old tactic. We've we we we've seen it in Germany. We've seen it in uh, Russia. We saw it in China. And it's that use of intimidation. It's not about anger It's about intimidation. I'm going to scare you into submission. And that's what this is about.
1: Well, and I I hate to say it. It it makes me angry. So it it doesn't scare me. It doesn't motivate me. You know, I should be a better, more insightful person. And, you know, consider how am I treating my fellow man? No, it skips right past all that and gets right to you're bugging the crap out of me. (laughs) And and, and I wish I wish someone would pepper spray you or otherwise, you know, put you in your place Um, because I just I don't like to see people being abusive. And I don't care if it's a a Klansman being abusive to a person of color or, you know, a a gang member being abusive to somebody. I don't like to see that kind of behavior. And, um, you know, I guess if there's if there's a bright side to this, take this as 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 I intended. It's that every time one of these incidents comes out, every time it's it's shown publicly. I believe Donald Trump gets another boost in the polls and and probably is closer to a a landslide victory, which I believe you you predicted. Um, He's Mm -hmm. he's looking more and more like he's going to he's going to carry off a landslide um, this fall.
2: Yeah. So when we come back, actually, I want to talk about that. How what if that's the goal is to get you angry, get the other side angry and have two angry sides coming after each other?
1: What if that's the goal? Let me ask you this: What would be the purpose of, of keeping those two sides angry? Is that to take, to keep the heat off the people who are uh, the actual cause of most of our woes? I mean, the people in authority and people in power, or is it something else?
2: It's a political strategy.
1: Okay. Well, you're, you're, you've you've left an excellent tease here, and that's good. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll invite everybody stick around through the break. We will be back. Gary Welch is my guest. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Please go and check out the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. You'll also find links there that will show you how to become uh, a supporter of the program. You can become a wrong thinker. You can subscribe to the podcast. It's your choice.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: Hey, once again, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. Our show is brought to you in part by the Staples Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. If you or someone you know is looking to get pre-qualified or maybe you're very serious, you are ready to buy a home or refinance your existing home loan, just go to staplesmortgage.com. I was just talking with my friend John Staples last week, and I I know the market is doing interesting things. I know that a lot of people are moving from large metropolis areas to get out, get to where there's a little more peace and quiet. If you are one of those people or if you find yourself in the situation of needing a home loan, just know Patriot Home Mortgage works in 23 different states. They have a lot of clout. They have a lot of people available to help you, but the Staples Mor- Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage is the one that I want you to talk to first, simply because John is my friend, and I promise you he will give you outstanding, I mean outrageously good, customer service. Find out for yourself. Go to staplesmortgage.com and be sure to tell him, hey, I'm here because Brian was bragging about you. Now impress me, because I promise you he will. All right, Gary, you left us with a cliffhanger talking about uh, you know the the idea that there there are some people who actually want to see two factions at each other's throats as as we approach this election i am all ears tell me tell me why or how that would would make sense who does that benefit well actually both sides
2: you would i know we would like to you know blame the left and make everything um their fault and and I don't know if it's just me or you know the, the the people that I hang around with, but I always look at it that both sides are almost equally guilty when it comes to political shenanigans. I I really do not say, oh, that's just a Democratic thing or it's just a Republican thing. I see both of them. And I've been very involved in the area of politics and political parties and and been, you know, involved in these high level meetings. You know, not to say like I'm this really big political consultant, but I was there at a very high level listening to what goes on. And yes, it's it's political shenanigans. They're they're trying to manipulate things. And it does benefit both sides. If I can get you really mad, really angry, really upset, or really scared, you are more likely to take a more definitive action. And And in politics, what that relates to is I want you to either – be activists and, and go out and do something like a protest or or be a supporter, or more importantly, it's the donors. The donors, the, 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 the money people, sit there and they go, you know what, I, I've got 10 grand here, and I'm so mad, I'm so angry, I'm going to give you that 10 grand to go fight
1: these guys. Wow. I, I, I'm desperately looking for any way in which I can disagree with what you've said, and I can't. It, it it actually it makes sense, and 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 it scares me that it makes sense because I don't want that to be the case. Of course, I I don't think you do either, but I, I think you're you're calling it accurately. But this is the thing that we've always been talking about: is why you
2: don't want the type of government that we have now, which we are calling a, a American socialist government. It's a socialist government of an enlightened elite that thinks that they can run everything, and and that is the unintended consequences. Every time they do this, they get these unintended consequences. So they're after this because they wanna mobilize their staff, they wanna mobilize their supporters, they wanna get these donors. But the unintended consequences is on both sides. Somebody says, well, I am really mad and I'm not going to put up with this, so I'm grabbing my gun and I'm showing up at your door. Whether that's I'm coming in to intimidate you on one side Or what we're hearing from the other side of, hey, grab your guns and go down there and meet them so that they know, you know, we're here and we're armed and we're ready to shoot it out. Where is that going to lead? That that only has one outcome.
1: So here's here's the sixty four thousand dollar question. Will cooler heads prevail? Because I have it in my mind that maybe these, uh, these groups like, like black lives matter. And, and it's even the, the, w- even though there may be some who are, are, uh, trying to be peaceful. Um, I'm sorry, the optics right now are, look, you got a bunch of militants marching around trying to pick fights and start uh, trouble. And the right has problems too. As you had mentioned, there are, there are people on the right, the, the, uh, the, uh, what do they call themselves? The proud boys and you know, the, the Patriot prayer front or whatever they, they, um, they're spoiling for a fight as well. But I think these are very tiny percentages of the overall population. I think a lot of people are kind of sitting back and going, whoa, I'm not comfortable with with either one of you. Um, Can that tiny of a percentage still tip us off into into a conflict that uh, spirals out of control?
2: It's been done before multiple times. History is just full of examples of that 10% driving the 90% into a event that the 90% did not want. And that would have liked to avoid, but they drove, but they didn't do something. And we kind of talked about it last Tuesday. And I'm hoping that this message gets out that if you're listening to this, that you just don't listen, go, Oh yeah, I'm agreeing with Brian and Gary, but that you turn around and you, you give this message to someone else, share it with someone so that they understand here is how you stop this. You, you don't blame the other side. You're not going to them and saying, hey, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like, because that, that's not going to do anything. If you are a Black Lives Matter person and someone from the Donald Trump camp is criticizing you for being violent and all that other stuff, who cares? So what? You're the enemy. But if you are a Black Lives matter person you're a supporter and you stand up and you say this is wrong now you got their attention and the same on the other side those of us that are saying that this is wrong we've got to stand up and tell our side hey everybody this is not the way to go and 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 Brian I think even this you said you know that when I brought this up last time about the militias coming out that I said let's don't bring guns to the party I think you had a kind of a change of heart because you were of that mindset of, well, yeah, let's go out there. Let's defend all these properties and do that in the right to bear arms and the whole deal. But my point was, we if, if you and I stand up and others like us and we tell our side, hey, guys, this is not the way you want it to happen, and the consequences of this is not going to go well for us. Not what it's not going to achieve what we want it to achieve unless you want a war, then we got that. But it's going to take that. It's going to be you have to you have to
1: be responsible for your your own side. Meaning if your side is acting out, you got to be the one to speak up and say, "Uh, uh, that's not us. Now, I'm still, you know, Gary, you and I may not be entirely on the same page yeah, with the right to keep and bear arms. Um, I do agree, though. There are times where it is OK to be without arms. And, and I as my biggest example of that, when I went to Bundy Ranch six years ago on the day of the big standoff, uh, my friends and I who went down there to lend moral support to Ammon and to Ryan and, and their family, we went down there unarmed. And that was out of character for us in the sense that all of us had had concealed carry permits for years and, you know, we're big believers in the right to keep and bear arms and regularly train and whatever. Um, but for some reason we went and, and we did not take our firearms with us. There was no discussion beforehand, but we just, we got there and went, really? You didn't bring one either? Wow. And I, I, I've told this to some people. I'll share this briefly. Um, we didn't need them that day. Now, we weren't there at the standoff, and there was a reason for that, but the reason we didn't need it is because we were there to lend a kind of moral support that did not rely strictly on um, force of arms or the arm of the flesh, however you want to call it. We were there to lend spiritual support, and I guess if if there's anything that I could ask people to consider, it's please consider that uh, guns alone are not going to be enough. They never will be enough. They might be necessary at some point to defend you and your loved ones, but they're not going to be enough to turn the tide. I think it's got to be that moral clarity and that willingness to, to stand up for what's right and, dare I say, to call upon God, kind of like the, the founding generation did to, to help you. All right, we've got to take a quick break. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll open it up for some of your calls as well. 801 331 8113. Back after this.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The
1: Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back. Gary Welch is my guest. By the way, our line is open, 801-331-8113. So, Gary, let's uh, let's tie up any loose ends about uh, what is what is going on in terms of Black Lives Matter. One thing that I do want to point out here, um, I don't want this to sound like, well, you two guys are sitting around here complaining about this movement. Um, This is not to say that everything about them is wrong. There are some things, there are concerns that they are expressing that are actually legitimate. Now, I disagree with the method by which they're going about uh, about uh, a lot of what they're doing. But, for instance, The concern over law enforcement um, being essentially immune from any accountability, I think that is a very, very legitimate concern. Oh, my goodness. And Gary has just lost power. Thank you, Mother Nature. That means uh, means we just lost our connection with him. Okay, well, this is where I punt, and I will go to the phone, and I will... Miss the collar by that much eight oh one three three one eighty one thirteen. Well, it's been an interesting day so far. Uh, we just had uh, had a problem with uh, with another uh, program that I produce, uh, the Joe Carey Show, had uh, issues in uh, the northern part of the Wasatch Front with uh, incredible winds coming through and taking down power lines and um, internet and power were intermittent. So now. Unfortunately, I've lost my my connection with Gary. So, okay, I'm going to punt then. Here's here's what I do. I came prepared. Let's talk about qualified immunity. Qualified immunity, according to this uh, article I'm looking at from reason.com, says uh, qualified immunity is a disgrace no matter who is involved. And sometimes it's the police, sometimes it's other government officials. Let's uh, let's see if I've got Gary back on the line here with me. Gary, can you hear me? Okay. I can hear Gary in the background, but I'm not uh, getting on it. There we go. Gary, speak to me. All right. He's he's still setting things up. Hit me with a text uh, or hit me with a thumbs up when you're ready, Gary, and uh, and we'll be good to go. But the, I, I have this article which I'll include in the show notes, and this has to do with qualified immunity. And even the most police skeptical courts still seem to grant this doctrine in egregious circumstances. Why would that be a problem? Well, because sometimes even with the best of intentions, public servants are given a free pass to to get away with things that any of us would be hung out to dry for. And that's a problem. And this is one of the reasons why you have people protesting in the streets. It's not, uh, it's not just a matter of, you know, we all hate cops. It's, it's a matter of sometimes there are legitimate concerns. All right. Can you hear me now, Gary? Yep, I'm back. Okay. Gary is back. And I actually have a caller. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump over here and grab this this phone call and bring them in. And then let's, let's talk a little bit about qualified immunity. Caller, go ahead. You're on the air. Hi. How are you? Good. What's on your mind, Kevin?
4: Uh, well, a couple things. Um, I must say, I wonder if it's because I'm blind, most of my experiences with law enforcement has been positive. As a matter of fact, uh, I even had an issue crossing an intersection in West Jordan, Utah, southern Salt Lake, once years ago, and the cop was nice enough to give me a ride to where I was going, which I thought was uh, very nice of the cop. Uh, you think, though, No, well, I've only had one bad experience with a cop, but you think that's probably because cops are probably nicer to blind folks or those with obvious disabilities?
1: I guess, you know, that's, it's going to vary from officer to officer. Uh, I saw on Facebook the other day where a, a friend of mine was out riding with a, a motorcycle group, not a gang, but just a group of friends who like to ride motorcycles, and they all got pulled over in southern Utah. And I noticed that they took some pictures, and I looked in the background and went, hey, I know that trooper. That trooper's a good friend of mine. And he also happens to be what I, I, I believe to be one of the finest police officers out there on the streets today. And that was my comment to them was, uh, you're very fortunate that this is the guy who pulled you over. Now, I didn't know how their interaction had gone at that point. I didn't know if he had read them the riot act. But I was very happy to see every person who responded in his thread about uh, getting pulled over said, oh, you got, you're right. This officer was, was the best officer, the kindest officer we've ever met. And so you may catch one on a bad day, but I, I just I want to affirm there are good ones out there. But I think even the good ones would look at qualified immunity and say that just doesn't make sense.
4: Yeah, also, uh, I want to talk about mask wearing real quick. Um, I happen to be one of these people who is against masks uh, mandates. However, I have come up to the conclusion, and I've been thinking about this a lot, um, if I am around an elderly person, and that elderly person asks me to wear a mask, I will, out of respect, just because I know the psychological aspect of wearing a mask. And if I want to maintain a friendship with that person, I'll do it. If I go into a store and I'm forced to wear a mask, I'll do it and do what I need to do and then get out or I might walk into a store and then take the mask off just to see what they'll do. And if they tell me to put it back on, I probably will, not to put up a big fight. And part of that could, is probably just I'm blind and it take, took me a long time to walk to that store. So for me, is it worth the fight? I don't, uh, obviously, if I'm at a store or business that doesn't enforce it, I won't wear one. Uh, what do you think of that uh, approach? Is that bad, do you think?
1: Kevin, I think you're being utterly reasonable. And I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I appreciate your call, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, Gary, let's get some of your thoughts on this. So um, to address both
2: issues, the first one about, you know, the cops and the situation that you come across, we talked about this last Tuesday. So, you know, your experience that you had with the police officer was in a nice place in a nice town in a nice area, and you were being very polite. Now, if I transport you into a black community with lots of drugs, lots of gangs, lots of shooting, every time the cop goes in there, he's being called to a domestic, you know, maybe a domestic violence thing or a family dispute or somebody's just trespassing or just, you know, being annoying, you know, just somebody out on the street being annoying. But every time they go into those situations, people are getting shot. And so their reactions become very different and their mentality becomes very different. And my thing is, it's not, you know, it is the cops and we got to look at that. But let's look at the situation. Why did we create these communities where this is happening? How do we allowed, allowed this to happen in America? And I'll even tell you the answer right now is because we said government take care of this. You figure it out. And that was their solution. Let's round them all up throw them in these communities, give them really bad housing, really bad situations. And then we'll just introduce drugs and guns into the scenario. And, and, you know, we can all watch the firefights every night. Well, that's what our cops are dealing with. And, and it's just, you know, that's, you got to look at the entirety of it. This is why I'm saying, look at both sides of this. There are both sides
1: to this and we need to address these things. I think the biggest problem I have with uh, with qualified immunity is simply that it it puts the it gives the benefit of the doubt to the police officer in ways that it wouldn't do for a person who isn't in the employ of the state. And and I realize there are different circumstances. I think I think each case has to be handled on a case by case basis. I don't want a blanket approach, but I do think that uh, for some reason uh, this is my perception, Gary, when when a police officer uses force, whether it's, uh, you know, physical force, hands, baton, pepper spray, taser, or even lethal force in in the event of using a, ha- a firearm or something. It seems that the system is set up so that it swings into action, looking to find a reason to justify why the officer did that. Well, that's in accordance with department policy. That's in accordance with his training. The suspect made a furtive movement or, you know, something like that. All all they have to do is is... Basically, uh, say the words, look, I was in fear for my life in a way that uh, that corresponds with department policy. And they're pretty much home free with With a citizen, though, it seems like when when a citizen defends themselves again, whether it's with fists or with with a firearm or something, the system is doing exactly the opposite. It's trying to find a reason where they screwed up and they can be held legally culpable. And, and to me, that feels like a, a very big double standard. And I believe qualified immunity is one of the reasons for that.
2: Well, they set up qualified immunity to protect everyone. It protects not only the cops, but the politicians. Look at this whole yeah. COVID thing. Oh. Every state, every state passed these laws that says, hey, you can't sue us. You can't come after us. You can't hold us accountable. That's what it's all about, Brian. That's what that's what qualified immunity is all about. So everybody gets protected in this one.
1: That's an excellent distinction, and I, and I appreciate you making that. In fact, when we come back on the other side of the break, let's talk about COVID. I know this is kind of a favorite topic for you and me, but we're going to talk about COVID in uh, in regards to how um, under, under rule by experts, when you get science and authority in the same room and they start working together... That is a perfect recipe for tyranny. We'll continue our conversation with Gary Welch, just the other side of these messages.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The
1: Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. 2020, Mother Nature. I am getting just a little bit tired of your crap. (laughs) Once again, a little power bump uh, knocked uh, my guest, Gary Welch, off momentarily. I think I may have him back. Just go ahead and sound off when you're ready. There he is. All right. You can hear me okay? (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be fun, isn't it? <laughs> Holy cow! All right, so let's let's take a moment here to talk about COVID. I have a wonderful article which will be linked in the show notes at thebrianhightshow dot com. This is from the Foundation for Economic Education. It is from Tabitha Alloway. Rule by experts is tyranny shrouded in science, and she asks the question: Does the COVID nineteen crisis support? Neil deGrasse Tyson's call for Rationalia, a world in which science reigns supreme. And I just want to get your gut reaction uh, to to the idea that, uh, you know, Gary, do you believe in science? (laughs) Do you trust the science? (laughs) I want to, and I try to.
2: But ever since the whole climate change using science for political agenda has came out, I have a very strong distrust now of anything when they when they say, well, the scientists say this. I immediately go into distrust mode.
1: Yeah, and I I don't blame you, and I don't think you're alone. Uh, Tabitha Alloway in this article points out how all the expert advice on COVID-19 has been ping ponging around like a pinball in a or a bead in a pinball machine um, for quite some time. And listen, listen to these statements. You don't need a mask. Everyone needs to wear a mask. Asymptomatic spreaders are the real problem. No, wait, it doesn't look like asymptomatic carriers are spreading it. I mean, these are just two of the more visible examples, but um, expert advice has been all over the place. Even the medical literature itself has been rife with contradictions and retractions. So it seems a little bit uh, scary when someone comes out and says, trust the experts, and there was a New York Peace Times uh, or New York Times piece, rather, from February, titled "How Fear Distorts Our Thinking About the Coronavirus," which carried the tagline: "The solution isn't to try to think more carefully; it's to trust the experts." Gary, give me your reaction to that advice. Don't think more carefully; trust the experts.
2: Yes, um, we talk a lot about that you know we have a socialist government which is this enlightened elite approach but you know to make that happen you have to have a socialist society and that here's the thing and i know we don't want to hear this but we are all socialists we think like socialists now i don't blame you because from the day you were born they said trust your government trust the experts you know if you have a problem go to government to get it solved Government will take care of you. And we've all grown up with this attitude. And and back to Kevin's original statement about the mask. You know, we have turned into a society that don't ask. We never ask anymore. Hey, could you please put on a mask? No, you got to put on a mask because the scientists tell us you have to put on a mask. That's the kind of society we live in nowadays. Nobody asks, nobody's polite about this, nobody says, "Hey, this is the reasonable thing to do." It's all about we are demanding it and we've got our people that says, you know, this is the way it should be.
1: Yep. I'm uh I I'm a little bit nervous. I didn't even know about this uh, this proposal that uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson made a few years ago with uh, his rationalia government proposal. The idea was this. He says, let us create a world in which all policies are based on weight of evidence. Let science rule us. And that uh, that concerns me. You know why it concerns me the most? Because science doesn't seem to have a lot of room for right and wrong. There are ethics, but it doesn't really come down to, there. there isn't a morality per se of, look, this is absolute right, this is absolute wrong when it comes to science. And, and you take that to its logical extremes and you get things like unit 731 of the uh, Japanese, you know, imperial uh, military when it was at work in, in Manchuria. They did things that even the Nazis shook their heads at and went, wow, that's that's twisted. And yet many of the doctors who were part of unit 731 and who were doing these uh, experiments on live human beings on behalf of their government were given uh, leniency and, in fact, sometimes given an outright clemency for those war crimes because they turned all of those medical records over to the U.S. government at the end of the war. In return for that information, our government said, okay, good enough. That's that's what chills me about let science rule, because science can do some pretty nasty things when it's divorced from morality.
2: Okay, here's a good twist for you. You're going to love this. Is secretarianism or science as a philosophy, is that a religion?
1: I think it can, can take on elements of a religion. And I say that based, on, I think you had mentioned this off the air. We talked about uh, climate change. Isn't climate change the ones who aren't the, aren't the climate to, you know, change disciples, the ones who really resurrected the idea that it's heretical to deny the reality of science or of, of climate change. I mean, in a in a slightly lesser informed time, they'd be burning people at the stake for refusing to agree that uh, yes, the climate is changing and we're all responsible for it.
2: I actually am very strongly stating that secularism is a religion. You have no positive evidence that what you are saying, as far as it's science. Is true. You tell me that the universe is a 12, you know, a forty four hundred and two trillion 402 trillion coincidence situation. And I'm saying, I don't believe in that many coincidences. I think that there was a creator behind this. You have no proof. I have no proof just because you're a scientist and you say, well, that's the way it is. That doesn't make you right. It's a religion. It is your belief that you are putting on what faith, Faith in science, but it's faith.
1: Yeah, it's and a it's, religion, and it's and it's the kind of faith that allows people to put something above being questioned. That's that is the definition of idolatry. Anything you place above reality or the ability to even question has become an idol to you. And and it's very clear that there are some things to science, or at least to to some of the loudest practitioners of science, climate change being probably the most notable example that you simply cannot question
2: and i've 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 seen them over and over again i mean science has been just very historical um very committed to their beliefs and when when challenged they don't like it you know anytime that somebody challenges any of the of the accepted status quo in science they've always been very very adamant about rejecting it and we know we don't want to do that so again i go back to this that they act a lot like a religion and, and as such, we should really be saying, look, secularism and, and the philosophy of science as a mode for our society, that you must accept that. We should treat it like a religion and let the Constitution go apply to it, and that we, we're, we're not going to have any state religion.
1: Wow. And, and that, I believe, is, is the danger, is science could very quickly become state religion. Rudolph Hess who was a very noted Nazi, talked about how national socialism is nothing more than applied biology. I mean, they, come on, they leaned very heavily on science to back up why they did what they did. This is, the, the author of this article on the, on the Foundation for Economic Education, Tabitha Alloway, says, rather than codifying the special wisdom and knowledge of a few fallible men into governmental law, we must base policy on the protection of the rights of all men, which means we need more critical thinking, less mindless trust, more responsible self-education and self-government, uh, self-governance rather, less abdication of such responsibility to experts, more individual informed decision-making, less acceptance of one size fits all mandates. She says we're not mindless robots, our politicians and their advisors are not infallible dictators, and it's time for us to send that message to them loud and clear. Got about a minute here, Gary. Final thoughts on your part.
2: I love the point you made about ethics, because without the ethics, when you just take science and government, that's when you justify sending everybody to the gas chambers.
1: Yeah. And and some some people might feel like, well, now that's just hyperbole, you guys. No, that's that's history. That's that's applied knowledge of this is what people actually did, justifying what they did in the name of science. And it's, isn't it interesting to notice the most totalitarian regimes that have ever existed among men? The first and foremost thing that, that they tend to do is they tend to go after religion and eradicate it. And there can only be one reason for that. That is, they don't want any competing moral authority to which people might give their allegiance. Gary, it's great talking with you. I loved it. Okay, thanks for joining me. Gary Welch has been my guest don't forget to check out the show notes at the Brian Hyde show.com. Consider becoming a wrong thinker. You can subscribe to the podcast. you can become a donor to the show. That's the Brian Hyde show.com. Thanks again for joining us.
4: This is the Brian Hyde Show.